Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for being a loving Father that teaches. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning as we open your marvelous word in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the, sea, uh, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Okay, now, so where we are right now, you may have forgotten, anyway, we're at verse 17. Verse 17, where it says, from that time, that time, Jesus began to preach. So what this really is, is it's the Lord's, the beginning of his public ministry, now, from the other Gospels, which are, we have histories which are not recorded for us in, in Matthew, and we know that before this point, the Lord has been in Jerusalem, he's been in Judea, he's been in the part of the land, which is the Jewish part, and that was part of the Lord's ministry, but it was not his public ministry. So now here is the beginning of his open preaching. And he begins his public ministry, and the place that he chose to start his public ministry is called out for us in verse 15. It's not just Galilee. It's called Galilee of the Gentiles, which was not a very, uh, anyway, it wasn't Jerusalem. And so the people that he begins his ministry with, they are also called out, and those people are described in verse 16 as people which sat in darkness And those people who sat in darkness are described when the Lord came as seeing a great light. 
And they are described as those which not only sat in darkness, but they sat with what is described as the region and shadow of death. And on them, it says that light sprung up or light rose on them. So these people are not described as walking in darkness, which is a description which the Lord gave to some in John 8.12. In John 8.12, when he said that he was the light of the world, and he said, he that followeth him should not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So to walk in darkness would indicate that the people, maybe there's kind of like a vision, uh, an idea that they still have hope. They still have strength to get out of the darkness. They're pressing on. You could think of them like in a, in a dark cave. Maybe the, they're in a cave and they're lost in the cave and it's dark and they're hoping that maybe if they go around the next corner that they're going to see light, that they're going to see the way out of this cave here. But then there's no light so they keep on pressing on to the next bend in the rocks to, to maybe they'll find light, but no light. And so it's the image of a person that has energy to get out of the mess they're in, to get out of the darkness of their life, and it's portrayed as them walking in darkness. But when a person has just given up, they've just given up in life, and they're just lost in hope, they, they have no hope of getting out of the darkness, and they're described in verse 16, as the people which sat in darkness. That's a person who's in the cave and they've just given up and they're just sitting there waiting for death to come. Death is going to inevitably come. It's gonna, they're going to be destroyed and they're just sitting in darkness. And that's the idea here in verse 16 when it says they're sitting in the shadow of death. They see death approaching. They see it as nothing they can do to stop death. Death is approaching. Death is getting closer and closer. The shadow is getting closer and closer. They've turned their back on it. They're not looking at death. They're not talking about death, even though death is getting closer and closer. They've just slumped down. They're in a state of depression. And this is the people that the Lord decided to come to it first in his public ministry here in verse 16. The people which sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. It was as if the Lord had looked for the most depressed people in Israel, the most despised Galilee of the Gentiles people in Israel. It's this people, Galilee of the Gentiles. And there's such a contrast between those people and the people in Jerusalem. It reminds me of several years ago when, when a group of us went to Mexico City and we had to go to the building there, the Ministry of Health called Kofi Priest. We had to go there. And we had to get some direction from them on how we as a company were to carry out a, a particular clinical trial that we wanted to do in Mexico. And so, you know, we met with the directors of the Ministry of Health and and we, we, we told them that our plan, and we wanted to get the approval direction, whatever, and we told them that we wanted to carry out some of our work in a clinical trial in Takati. And they looked at us with a pained look on their face, and they said, Takati? <laughs> I said, yeah, Takati goes, they said, isn't that in Baja, California? And we said, yes. And they just shook their heads and they said, no, 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 not Baja, California. So anyway, from their response there, we learned that, that from the Ministry of Health there in Mexico City that they viewed Baja, California as the Wild West, you know, with no law, no order. And they despised the Cotty. Anyway, that's the way Galilee of the Gentile was viewed by those in Jerusalem. So when the Lord chose to start 
his public ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles, it was like the Lord had chosen Tecate in Baja, California. So that's the way it was. All right. But this is where the Lord decided to choose to start was in Galilee of the Gentiles as opposed to Jerusalem of the Jews. All right. So he chose to come to this people who they're sitting in darkness in Galilee of the Gentiles as opposed to standing in the light of Jerusalem. And he chose to come to a people who are sitting in the shadow of death as opposed to, to standing in the shadow of the temple in Jerusalem. In other words, he chose to come to like the home of sinners as opposed to the home of people who thought themselves to be righteous. Now, verse 16, it seems to as though there are two groups of people described in verse 16. There are two groups, okay. The first group, you notice carefully, this first group is described as those that have seen a great light. Okay, and the second group is described as the people on whom the light has sprung up or having the light that rose on them. Another scripture says, the risen upon thee, you know, in Isaiah. So just think of these two groups of people. The one who saw the great light, those are the ones, when they saw the great light, they were looking directly at the light, like they were facing the light head on. And then the second group, is the one who are described as the light that rose on them or it sprung up on them. As if they're not really facing the light directly, but they see the light all around them, but they're not exactly facing the light. Now, this description holds true for two groups of people today. The one group sees the works of the Lord, and as they look at nature and the awesomeness of nature, they say, Well, there's got to be a creator. This couldn't have just fallen together by chance, as some so-called scientists say. And that group is described as the ones upon whom the light has shined, upon whom the light has risen. But then there's the other group described as those that saw the great light. These are the people who see in the Lord Jesus Christ, in him, the great light. They, they see the Lord Jesus Christ as the great light of the creator. He's the creator. They see him as he's described in John 1.3. John 1.3, that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So they saw the Lord Jesus as the light of the creator. They saw in the Lord Jesus that he's God. He's the light of God. He's God, as it says in John 1.1. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There's no question about what that's saying. So they saw this in the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw him. He's the only way to heaven. They saw that. They saw he's the only one who's the embodiment of truth. He's the only one who's the source of life, both physical life, spiritual life, and that if a person has the Lord Jesus, they recognize this. If a person has the Lord Jesus, they have everything. They have life, as it says in John 14.6. John 14.6, when Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So they see this. They see this. They say he's the great door. He's the great door. And then there are those who they don't see that. They don't see that it's all coming from him. But if you ask those people, you know, do you believe in God? And say, yes, I believe in God. But they don't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as described in 2 Corinthians 4.6. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, God 
who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in your hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, seeing the great light is very particular. It's very specific. It's seeing the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and that there's the glory of God. They don't see that. They don't see that. But they do see his works of creation. They might even pray. They may give thanks to God for all he's done for them. They may be sensitive to what God has done for them. Yes, all that's true. But they are the ones on whom the light has risen. The light has risen on them. They're not enlightened within. They're not regenerated. They hope that when they die, they go to heaven, they, but they don't have the sun as described in 1 John 5, 12. 1 John 5, 12, which says, he that hath the sun hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. You know, they say they're trusting in God. They say they're trusting in the good God to let him into heaven by his mercy. They don't have that vital, they don't have that intimate relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've not seen the great light but the light has risen on them. And so these are the two groups of people that are described in verse 16. Reminds me of a friend, a Jewish friend of mine who I had lunch with one day, and he told me that it was such a beautiful day outside, which it was, and the sun was shining, and we were at some restaurant outside in San Diego, and he just said that he knew there was God. He knew there was a good God who made that day. And I told him, I said, that's great, but that's not good enough. I told him, that's not good enough for you to get to heaven. You need to have this personal relationship with who that God is, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I told him, just to look up to the sky and thank God for a beautiful day, that's not enough to get you into heaven. You had to come face to face with the Lord Jesus and thank God he did that day. So this difference between the first group and the second group of those who see the great light versus those on whom the light is shining really is what is at the heart of the issue in Matthew 7.21. Matthew 7.21, where the Lord said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Then he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. It's very frightening. It's very frightening to read these words. We can't even imagine the fright that's going to be when people hear those words, when they come to him saying, Lord, Lord, they call him Lord, and then they go on and talk about their great wonderful works that they've done in the name of Jesus by preaching and by casting out devils, and then they find themselves cast into hell. All because they never knew him. He never knew them. There was not that close personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Light had risen on them. They saw the light rising on them. They saw the light of people being saved as they preached in Jesus' name. They saw the light as people were delivered from devils that they cast out in Jesus' name, but they never saw the great light. Now, from verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus began to teach. It says that Jesus began to preach. Now, in your mind, what is the difference between teaching and preaching? What would you say? Okay, 
That's interesting. Preaching is to the unsaved and teaching is to the saved. Okay. Um, so then we should, if everybody's saved here, we shouldn't do any preaching. We shouldn't have a preaching service either because it's all, <laughs> all right. Okay, go ahead. What else? Yes, Tom? I think preaching is more emotional, emotional Uh-huh. Okay, so preaching is more meddling. It's getting into your space, right? <laughs> it's more... <laughs> it's more... Teaching is like, okay, uh, you can leave me alone, but preaching is you're not leaving you alone, you know? All right, yes, Tim? Okay, so teaching is not the same as preaching, although preaching can involve teaching, and teaching is really helping a person to understand, to understand. It's explanation. It's increasing knowledge. That's teaching. But preaching, and preaching can involve that also, but preaching takes one step further. One step further, it is a declaration, as Tim was saying. It's a proclamation And the difference between teaching and preaching is that preaching demands a response. Preaching is challenging. Preaching increases response to that knowledge. For example, in uh, verse 17, when the Lord Jesus says, the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand, that's teaching. He's teaching them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he's preaching when he, he calls for them to respond to that fact, the kingdom of heaven is at hand by saying, repent. So when he's demanding repentance or, or challenging them to repent, he's calling for a response to the truth that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It goes like this. You teach, and then the person says, so what? Then you preach. Right? The so what is the bringing it to the personal application. There, the response to repent. So when the Lord calls for the response to repent, he's preaching. Preaching is not very popular today, no. So the Lord's message is, in verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same thing that John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 2, in the previous verse, Matthew 3, 2. It's exactly the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that raises the question, what does he mean? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me ask you this question. What is absolutely needed for there to be a kingdom? Or what makes a kingdom a kingdom? The king. It's a king, right? So if there's no king, there's no kingdom. The king makes the kingdom a kingdom. So when John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they're saying that the king of heaven was at hand. So when he said this, when John the Baptist said this in Matthew 3, 2, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, he was saying the kingdom of heaven is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. And when the Lord Jesus said in this verse here, verse 17, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is no longer right around the corner. It's right in front of you. See? So in other words, the kingdom of heaven is as close as the king of heaven is, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Lord Jesus preaches that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's telling them that, look, you got a chance now, you got an opportunity now to reach heaven. So he goes to Galilee and he tells them about this opportunity that they have and they better not miss this opportunity to reach heaven. 
Now, he goes, as we mentioned here, to the most destitute people with this message of a chance, an opportunity. He went to the people who were the farthest away, so to speak, from the temple. They were the farthest removed from the synagogue, so to speak, with this real opportunity for them. This is the time for Galilee. This is the time of their visitation. You know, it's kind of like, just like, I don't know, you think back on Moses, on his history. You know, there was a time when Moses first went to go visit Israel. You remember that, when he first went there to go visit Israel? And this was the first visit that Moses made to the Jewish people. And just think about that time, that time. You remember, he was living there in the luxury of the palace in Egypt. He was, in essence, the son of Pharaoh, and he was slated to become the next pharaoh in Egypt because tradition has it from the Jews that that pharaoh had no sons, only had one daughter, and that daughter had no children, had no sons, so Moses, he was adopted. So there he was, slated to become the next pharaoh in Egypt. So there in the palace there, it comes into the heart of Moses that he's gonna go and visit his people, the Jewish people who were in the worst state, unimaginable. And that's just like the Lord Jesus who's in heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father and there in heaven it comes into his heart, the Lord Jesus, I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna rescue man. So Moses turns to his own people, the Jewish people, he turns to them, he wants to save them, he wants to deliver them and he has this first encounter with them and the encounter was to break up a fight between two of them. Two Jewish people were fighting. What? Two Jewish people fighting? Unheard of. And so he goes in there, he tries to break up this fight, and they have, or one of them has, which is really a spokesman for really the Jewish people, a response to him. It was really a response of the Jewish people to Moses in general in Exodus 2.14. In Exodus 2.14, when the response was, and he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou kills the Egyptian? In those words, in Exodus 2.14, in Exodus 2.14, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? That was Israel's response to Moses, which was really a response of, we despise you, we reject you. And that response was elaborated on more by Stephen before he was killed, In Acts 7.27, in Acts 7.27, it says, he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? So that's a little more graphic there when you look at those words that Stephen said, he thrust Moses away. You know, and that's Israel's decision about Moses. How Israel thrust Moses away when he first came to the Jewish people, is exactly how Israel thrust the Lord Jesus away when he first came to the Jewish people, as Blandly says in John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Speaking about the Jewish people, the Lord Jesus came unto his own and his own thrust him away. Now, speaking about the Jewish people, that Moses came unto his own and his own thrust him away, And that response, when Moses was thrust away, was a statement 
like I said, of, of how he was, Moses was despised, he was rejected when he first came. And that's just like the Lord Jesus, who was despised and rejected when he first came to the Jewish people, as is described in Isaiah 53.3. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 